Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, July 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the legal challenge to preserve abortion access is likely to end today. We look at what's next for women seeking those services. Then one national report ranks Mississippi as the worst for business. The president of the Economic Council responds. Plus, a coastal hospital system tries to secure financial security. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The final legal challenge to Mississippi's 2007 trigger law banning most abortions in the state is expected to come to an end today. The Mississippi Center for Justice filed to dismiss their lawsuit against the state on the grounds that their client, Jackson Women's Health Organization, no longer has plans to reopen their abortion clinic regardless of the case's outcome. The Mississippi Supreme Court is scheduled to respond to the suit and the subsequent motion today, ending efforts to preserve abortion access in the state. So what's next for pregnant women in Mississippi seeking those services? Our Kobe Vance talks to Tyler Harden, State Director of Planned Parenthood Southeast. We've already had the resources needed to make lives better in Mississippi, but Politicians decided to play games regarding access to abortion and are willing to sacrifice the safety of pregnant people in our state to be able to get things that they want. So um, for folks in the community who are trying to access abortion, and I know this um, just based on conversations that I've had with people who have been reaching out and um, you know, with the ever-changing landscape, one day you can go to Georgia, the next day you can't. Um, so there's there's just a lot of confusion there, and there's a lot of resentment from folks in our communities around the games that our state lawmakers have decided to play with our lives. And I think that this is just the beginning of the fight. Um, we've seen in places like Texas and um, in different states across the country where there are continuing to be plenty of legal challenges to what does it mean to um, not have access to abortion in the state, and what does it mean for, you know, pregnant people, and what does personhood mean in this moment? So I know it took us at least 50 years to reverse Roe, um, and a lot of that happened in the courts. So it may take us more to get something better than Roe, and we know that the courts are going to be 
um, super important to that fight as well. You spoke to this, but there's been a constantly changing landscape of abortion access um, over the past few weeks since the decision on uh, Dobbs came down. What are the current uh, methods Mississippians can go through if they want, if they need to access an abortion? The current methods are if you have reported um, a crime of rape to the authorities, to the police, um, or if you are someone who would be at risk of using losing their life due to pregnancy, due to the complications caused by pregnancy, um, you will be able to get an abortion. But for the rest of the population of people who may be pregnant, you would have to travel out of state. And um, we know with the ever-changing landscape, just looking at what happened with Georgia, a lot of people are making appointments and scheduling appointments in different states only to be told, you know, this is no longer a safe haven for abortion access. So it's a lot of confusion and a lot of changing landscapes that change every minute of the day. Um, for right now, the closest place people can go to is Florida, um, and the next closest state is Illinois. So we've been uh, talking to folks and telling them um, that they can go there. Louisiana is also a state that still has abortion access for at least another month because they have a legal fight in the courts, but um, their clinics are bombarded. And um, so it's, it's a little bit hard to get in touch with folks and schedule appointments there. So we've been trying to give them some release and refer folks to places in Florida and Illinois. What's things been like for Planned Parenthood Southeast as we've seen such a dramatic shift over the past few weeks? And what are y'all? What have y'all been doing to try to help connect with communities and help organize or, or redirect people to their resources? Yeah, um, right now we are seeing folks just wanting to let out some emotions, just um, you know, some strong feelings. And so we've given folks the opportunity to rally, to cry out, to make space for that, and to think about what does abortion access look like in the future. And while we do that, we are also um, talking to our patients and folks in the community about resources that are available to them within other states. We continue to uplift the work of the abortion funds that service people in Mississippi, like the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund and ARC Southeast. Um, and we also just let people know that if they want other reproductive health care services that we're available um, and that there are other providers in our state that are available. But uh, Mississippi has always been a place where even though we had abortion access legally, it wasn't always accessible to people. Only one of 82 counties had an abortion provider. Um, so with the closing of JU, we are seeing the real implication of what it means to not have abortion access at all in Mississippi, but it's not something drastically different than what we've already been preparing for um, leading up to this fight. Can you talk more about these reproductive funds that are available and how Mississippians can go about it, um, getting in contact and uh, getting those resources if they feel like they need those? Yeah, um, ARC Southeast is one rep reproductive um, abortion fund that services people in Mississippi. They offer practical support as well. So if people need access to gas and transportation and hotel rooms, they're available. And you can visit them on arcarc-southeast.org. Um, and there'll be a form to fill out an application to get more information about 
how to access those funds. The same is for Yellowhammer. The Yellowhammer Fund is based in Alabama. They service people in Alabama, Mississippi, and the Florida Panhandle. Um, and you can visit their website at yellowhammerfund.org. The Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund offers practical support for folks in need. Um, so they offer services like money for transportation, gas, hotel rooms. Um, and you can find them at mississippireprofund.org. And then there's also the Shiro Fund. The Shiro Fund is a new fund started by Michelle Cologne, um, the founder of Shiro Mississippi. Um, that fund offers practical support for folks who are in need of transportation services, gas, and um, you can find that fund at sheroms.org. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Tyler Harden is State Director of Planned Parenthood Southeast. Coming up, one national report ranks Mississippi as the worst for business. The president of the Economic Council responds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Fix It 101 is a fun podcast with lots of home improvement information. Even if that's not your bag, all of the episodes are archived online. So if the mood strikes you or if the need motivates you, you can search your project. And yes, there is a Fix It 101 podcast for that. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The social media feeds of Governor Tate Reeves reflect a key cog of his 2019 campaign platform and policy priorities, being business friendly. But CNBC ranks Mississippi last in its top states for business in 2022. In their report, they score states in 10 categories using 88 metrics. The categories include workforce, infrastructure, and economy, where Mississippi ranks 47th, 46th, and 49th, respectively. So what does the leader of the state's Economic Council make of this? MEC's president and CEO Scott Wallace shares his thoughts with our Michael Guidry. It's easy to look at where we stand from an economic standpoint and not look at where we are in terms of where we're making what I would consider real progress. You know, the, the biggest issue I had with the CNBC report uh, was that if you actually read the report or read the story, there were a lot of things in that story that they talked about we were doing really well, such as we're one of the best states, according to the Department of Labor, which is real quantitative data, at putting people into workforce programs that then translate into actual employment. But for whatever reason, this particular report chose to use a lot of subjective data, data that is really more opinion as much as it is the, the, the quantitative data that we really need to be looking at to determine where we are. There's without question that over the last few years, that Governor Tate Reeves, Lieutenant Governor Gilbert Hoseman, Speaker Philip Hunt, have focused their efforts in making sure that we're making progress in this area. We are one of the best states in the country of taking people from our workforce development programs and putting them into the workforce. That's something that I think we should be very, very proud of, and it's it's a combination of that work. And then you add to that fact that our community colleges rank extremely high in terms of their ability to produce results. All of those things were not taken into consideration in this report. But if you take them in consideration, that creates a totally different environment that businesses want to look at. 
you brought up some of the initiatives and the priorities of the legislature and the and the administration, and and they're they're relatively novel. You know, a couple of years in, when do the results of that workforce development begin to really be quantifiably measurable and quantifiably manifest themselves? To me, the passage of legislation this past session, the um, Career Technical Education Reform Act. I believe that that is going to be transformative legislation for our state. You know, the the creation of the Office of Workforce Development that I mentioned earlier was was like step one in this process. And they're up, they're running, they're working hard, they're creating, they're building a staff. That you're starting to see the results. I think as 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 we go forward, it's not going to take long before we see real quantitative. You know, data that shows we're making a difference there in how we're approaching workforce development. And as I mentioned, we're already seeing the fact that we're we're having great success in, in these these workforce training programs that we've seen over the last couple of years, and, and the way they're doing it, being successful in putting people to work. I think we have a long track history already of our community colleges working with our uh, businesses across the state to really you know, get them the type of training necessary. Um, so when you think about all of the things that was in the, just that single piece of legislation, the creation of career coaches to help students at the high school level understand what career opportunities and career pathways exist, the the, um, the ability to actually go in and they're going to start trying to make sure that there's a, that they're linking the programs at the K-12 level to the programs at the community college level so there's a continuity from going from one to the other. So when you get to community college, you're not starting over. You're just picking up and learning more from what you already have, which gets you into the workforce faster. And they're doing uh, one of the things that's called for in this legislation is with the return on investment, if you will. They're taking a look at these programs to make sure that these programs actually are successful in putting people into jobs that is going to be at a higher wage a higher uh, skill level, and more importantly, provide the type of career and living for our citizens to be successful. And and while we're seeing some results, I think over the next two to three, four years, you're really going to see a tremendous uh, improvement in the delivery of workforce development, and more importantly, the results of workforce development because of of this. Secondly, I think the fact that we uh, call for the development of a kind of a premier incentive package and the passage of MPLEX, the Mississippi Flexible Tax uh, Incentive Package, is really going to be helpful for economic developers to sit down with a company and say, okay, here are all the different types of incentives that you can use, and you can use them when it best fits your need. I think we will start to see that really ramp up and, and go into effect and really be in effect over the next few years in a way that's going to make people stand back and go, now, this is what we're talking about. This is why we need to do this. And then on the flip side of things, how does the the, the brain drain that we've seen many state leaders address uh, on, on the, the highly educated, highly skilled end of things, how is that affecting how Mississippi is at least perceived uh, as, as a state for business? There's no question that has to be a priority. That we've got, to, we've really got to look at how do we, how do we do the things that are necessary. Beginning with having the types of jobs that are going to want to, that's going to want to make people stay or come. 
we are in the process at MEC right now of doing focus groups across the state with young professionals, those in that 25 to 40 age group, as we're looking at what they're telling us and trying to figure out what are our next steps in order to, to really begin to address uh, some of their, you know, some of their issues that they're having or some of the things that they want to see happen. But it, it, it really comes down to opportunity. Is there an opportunity to, to have a high-paying job? Is there an opportunity for career growth? Is there is there the cost of living that, that makes it where you want to be here, which in Mississippi we already have that. So we've got to take those things that are, are positives to begin to build on attracting the types of jobs so that we can, we can keep our students here. The other stuff will come. You know, we hear a lot about, well, we got to have the amenities, we got to have this, we got to have that, and I think we do. But we first have to have something to attract them here. And I think we're starting to see more and more of that as we go forward. And I think there's a big emphasis, particularly in the economic development community, of not just getting jobs to the state of Mississippi, but getting higher-paying jobs to the state of Mississippi, jobs that are going to raise our per capita income. We're really at the very infancy stages of this, of this research that we're doing, but we believe it's going to yield the type of information necessary for us to sit down and really talk about the solutions to allow us to be a state that's focused on providing those opportunities for young professionals and making sure not only those here in Mississippi have that opportunity, but we then have the opportunity to attract more people to the state. And as we do that, what you will then see is the, the quality of our workforce will improve. The number of people who are in that that that, that post-secondary education realm uh, that we're talking about when educational attainment will grow. Those are the kind of things that are going to start to change the numbers and make businesses feel more and more comfortable about, okay, I can be in Mississippi and I can create these types of jobs because I will have the ability to pull from that qualified workforce that we're, we're looking to create. Scott Waller is president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. In part two of the conversation. I truly believe that we'll see a return on investment in raising teacher pay. Because I think that's one of those things where you're going to keep people in the classroom longer. You're going to attract more people to the classroom as a result of it. And that will pay long-term dividends. That's tomorrow. Coming up, a coastal hospital system tries to secure financial security. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Singing River Health System in coastal Mississippi says it needs nearly $300 million over the next five years to continue operating. 
The hospital is owned by Jackson County, and county leaders say they can't afford that. The county's Board of Supervisors have put out a request for bids to buy Singing River. CEO Tiffany Murdoch explains the hospital system's outlook with MPB's Rhonda Dunaway. Our senior executive team recommended to the Board of Trustees um, to uh, integrate or sell to a like-minded capital partner, and then they in turn made the resolution to the Board of Supervisors, who then obviously um, went out and got a consultant in regards to the valuation of the health system, and then came back and you know, really just said the exact same thing that we did, you know, reiterated that, and then the Board of Supervisors have moved forward um, with a sale but uh, to do a public hearing in regards to the sale to determine if there's a petition of 1,500 signatures. And if there is a petition, then it would go to referendum. So exactly how is the hospital funded currently? Uh, we are 100% self-sustained um, funded. There are, there are no tax dollars that are currently um, utilized to sustain operations of the hospital. So that means whatever comes in through um, patient health care, um, customer billing, that's what's sustaining the hospital. Correct. So is it the Board of Supervisors who uh, run and make the decisions, administrative decisions for the hospital, or how does that work? So our senior executive team makes the operational decisions and then with in conjunction with our board of trustees. Uh, we have seven board of trustees who are appointed by our supervisor, board of supervisors in the county. Um, and really what has made that decision is, I mean, it's not just as of recent. It is as of late of 2016. We, um, Raymond James, you know, told us, hey, guys, you know, healthcare is changing. Um the you know payers are changing, the financial um, outlook is changing, and then COVID just expedited that. And the amount of money that you know it takes to run a health system, and you know we are we're probably the one of the most unhealthy states in the nation. Unfortunately, um, it's just you know we have a lot more sick care versus well care, and that equation doesn't end up with a lot of extra dollars to run a half a billion dollar health system. So what will this mean for the employees? Will there be any certain type of a transition for them? Or is everything just sort of going to stay the same pretty much? How will that look? For our employees, we want it to be seamless. I mean, we want them to, if, if anything, we want them to benefit from this, so to be a part of a, you know, a larger group of peers. Um, uh, we want it to ensure that they, you know, obviously have um, – jobs and be able to do analysis for their labor um, in years to come to be able to be competitive in salaries. And so on the ground, we, from a from a healthcare perspective, they should not see anything change except that, you know, they have access to, you know, other mechanisms around their peer group. But, um, and then hopefully, you know, as we grow and we're able to sustain, um, continue to be competitive in their salaries. There are enough jobs out there that we we need a million more people. <laughs> really? So, um, so uh, Singing River Hospital is hiring. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, we, I think we have over uh, 300 job openings. I mean, just healthcare in general. We need more people. Are they mostly nursing positions, or what type of positions are they? I would say majority nursing, but we also, I mean, we have a large number of ancillary services. I just think that because of how fast we're growing and 
the number of um, facilities that we have to staff, we are continuously looking for people. So the, um, will Singing River be looking for funding in other ways like, um, you know, fundraisers? I didn't, you know, I've, I've come from a town where the hospital used to do like gay laws and stuff to yeah. they literally fundraised, fun, you know, did fundraising throughout the year for the hospital. Absolutely. Our foundation is incredible. Laura Sessom is our executive director of our foundation, and we, we have a really active one, and we expect to continue that. And we also expect to, I mean, I think we're, you know, have really great relationships with our, you know, coastal delegation in Jackson and, you know, at the federal level as well. And so I think we will continue to work really closely to ensure that we apply for grants that we, um, you know, lobby for earmarked funds. So, I mean, it's just not, um, you know, we would continue to do those things even with a larger partner. Is there anything else you want to add to our conversation um, that we haven't covered that you think we need to, you know, tell our listeners? Um, I think it's just, I mean, I think you asked the right questions. It's just about sustainability of healthcare. Um you know, for the next long, long term, not short term. Tiffany Murdoch is CEO of Singing River Health Systems. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.